0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 315, The State of Digital Currency, recorded February 11th, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP opie.com welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the only show on the internet where geeks rant uh, i am your host mark sometimes known as the sultan of the soapbox cockerel and joining me as always uh, although one of them is invisible but that's okay because most of you people listen to the audio and it won't matter are <laughs> miles Wakeham and seth wait i i i messed myself up seth the uh gooey kit anderson
1: and miles the aussie generator Wakeham. hello gentlemen
2: hello mark and greetings to the fine faithful out there
1: Yeah, that was a really nice intro, dude. You got almost right through it without anything. I'm thinking, we're back in the saddle, people.
2: Yeah, I don't think
0: I've done an intro right since we came back. I I think I've had a mess up on every one of them.
1: Um, Well, it's getting better.
0: Yeah, it's all right. I still still don't like the only show on the internet where geeks rant. Uh, I I feel like that was a very thin joke that we've overused um, for a long time now. But, uh, you know, I'm going with it anyway.
1: Yeah, it works for now.
0: Uh, so anyway, uh, this is uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, 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 digital currency, Bitcoin, Ethereum. Uh, my subtitle for this one was "People be tripping." Um, uh, when we were last with you in December-ish, uh, we talked about the fact that Bitcoin was almost at ten thousand. It was like it might hit ten thousand during the course of this show. Well, during that time, it skyrocketed up to near 20,000, never quite hit 20,000, uh, 19 and change, and then plummeted way back down again, and now uh, currently it is at somewhere around 8,100 uh, at this very moment. So if you were like me and you got in at 400, you still think you're sitting pretty. But if you got in at 9,000, you feel like the the world has ended. Um, and so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the irrational exuberance of digital currency. Uh, but first, I just, I, I have to, uh, a, a quick aside, there is a pox upon my house. I apologize if any of you get the flu through, the, through this pod, uh, audio podcast. I'm pretty sure I've managed to sanitize it, but uh, my wife spent some time in the ER earlier this week due to severe dehydration from the flu. It's a real thing. Um, and I read uh, a headline. I didn't actually read the article, but the headline was Georgia ranks uh, number one as the sickest nation, uh, state in the nation right now from the flu epidemic. So it's a good thing we got the CDC right here.
1: Oh man, I heard one in ten people were dying from the flu. Well, I'm sorry, no. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> of ten deaths, one of them was the flu. Yeah. Historically, is that right? I don't know. Uh, yeah, something like that.
0: This particular flu season is hitting. Um, not the, the young and the old, like you expect, it's like middle-aged housewives are dying, um, which is unusual. So the flu is not uh, a thing to be messed with. Um,
2: you know, I don't know. I think here in the developed countries, we've kind of flipped the script because, you know, hand sanitizer is now a... It's apparently a God given right right (laughs) after your iPhone. You must, thou shalt provide hand. And so we destroy our immune system by saying, no diseases for you to fight. And then so when we do get a disease, it's like, what's this? I don't know. I've been playing Xbox and now you want me to work? (laughs) We have the millennial immune system. We get what we deserve. Go eat dirt and you'll survive next flu season.
0: Uh, all right. One last thing I just want to say a very quick movie review of Transformers The Last Night. J.J. Um, Abrams stopped murdering my childhood slowly. Uh, this movie, I, I, you know, I have a wide latitude for movies like this. I happen to enjoy giant robots uh, destroying each other. This movie was so bad. It was beyond, I couldn't even enjoy the badness of it. It was that bad. I'm so sad. I'm so glad that I didn't pay 50 bucks to see it in the theater.
2: I really am. Was it Atlantic Rim bad? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see Atlantic Rim. Uh, Atlantic Rim was the um, uh, what? What asylum Pictures version of Pacific Rim nice. that they manufactured um, in between the two hours they heard about it and the movie started. So it was. It was. It almost it tainted my love of giant (laughs) robots it didn't destroy it but it tainted it because i mean normal i mean i'm the guy who normally likes the cheese fest asylum films and i was like yeah this one's a big stretch you know so and
0: miles i see here you have in in the notes that you're going to complain about no rain you live in the desert you don't you can't complain about no rain when you choose to live in the desert sorry
1: i know i know but it's winter right it's winter it's the unwritten law of winter that it's supposed to rain It hasn't rained here for weeks. And and when it did, it was a quarter of an inch. I mean, it was ridiculous. So all through uh, Phoenix right now, everybody's got this enormous allergies and hay fever from all the dust, which is just rolling around in the skies and getting up your nose everywhere because there's no rain to keep it down. And so, yeah, I'm sorry. I've got to complain about that.
0: All right and then Seth uh, has frozen precipitation so it's it's just uh, global warming all around
2: well it was it wasn't so much that we had sleet today but it was it was some persistent thunder sleet like i heard a roll of thunder that lasted for between 5 and 10 seconds kind of just I mean, you know, normally you hear a thunder clap, you don't hear thunder roll across the horizon. And it was, we got some good sleet here in East Texas. So, um, it, you know, anyway, thunder sleet, it, that's twice it has happened to me inside of a 12 month period. So interesting times and Chinese uh, proverbs and all that.
0: I've heard of, I've had thunder snows. I can't recall that I've ever had a thunder sleet, um, all right,
2: so now uh, I gave a brief
0: uh, overview of the irrational <laughs> exuberance of digital uh, of, of b- digital currency, I, and if you guys are like me and you subscribe to various uh, news feeds, uh, you'll you'll see that the same story gets retold, you know, over and over. You know, uh, Android Authority puts it up, and then Lifehacker puts it up, and then these it's the same story with just a different headline, a little, a little more clickbaity or a little less clickbaity, but there have been I don't know three a day for the last two months about uh, Bitcoin. Have, you know, is is over? Bitcoin could be a hundred thousand next week. Bitcoin is a sham. Bitcoin is the best thing ever, and they just keep coming back and forth. And it's it it, it reminded me of the the saying that I heard uh, Dave Ramsey say once about the stock market. He said the only people that get hurt on a roller coaster are the people who jump off. And uh, that's the way this whole Bitcoin thing is going. If you if you're into Bitcoin, uh, first off, it shouldn't be an investment. It's a speculation. We've talked about that many times. But just write it out. You're going to be fine. I'm I'm totally chuffed with what I have. Uh, it's up several dozen times uh, what it was when I bought it. Uh, yeah, it's down half the value of what it was a month ago. But it was way overvalued half a month ago. It's uh, it's way overvalued now, to be honest. Um, but anyway, so Miles, take us through some of the. The uh, sort of uh, mechanical things that cause this ridiculous uh, rise and fall of digital currency, specifically Bitcoin, but also if Ethereum and Litecoin. Those are sort of the three that are, that the the major news outlets are following.
1: That is true. Um, everything seems to somehow be tied to Bitcoin's up and down and. The other currencies are just getting the same effect, and some are amplified, and some are not. But the reality is that one year ago today, when we were recording this show a year ago, uh, Bitcoin was at a thousand bucks. So that should give some context to where it is today and what sort of return on investment. I mean, if I put a thousand dollars into, I don't know, oil futures a year ago, and it went up eight times. Could you imagine that? that? I mean, that's crazy. But, you know, it happened to Bitcoin. 2017 was an unre- unrealistic year for Bitcoin. And in my opinion, uh, it can never go to the levels it went with any form of authenticity. It, the one thing about this stuff, this currency, is that I've seen it bring out the best and worst in people. And it's, it's weird in the way it does that. People get so passionate about this topic and they're normally the ones that are fairly new to it. And then the people who are really, really passionate against the topic are the ones that either have a lot to lose or they just are so resentful that they didn't get into it. And it becomes kind of a, you know, there's extremes and the extremes just seem to have pulled themselves so far apart from each other that now just craziness is abound uh, why the price went to 20 uh, or almost 20 i think it's just because everybody had that fear of missing out thing that was going on i mean we had um, institutional investors come into the market in november and december through the futures trading and that seemed to give license to big hedge funds and pension funds and and whatever else to get in on this thing And there were a lot of people who looked at the Bitcoin price of a price per Bitcoin and said, you know, oh, my God, it's, you know, 8,000. I better get one while I can afford it. And they all rushed out and borrowed money and to their credit cards to buy some of this stuff and then watched it all go to the moon and, you know, up to 15000 16000 And they're all sitting back going, well, that was a pretty savvy investment, not knowing <laughs> that this, this has a history of, of crashing down to 20% of its value. And then when it did, they're all going, oh, no, woe is me. I've now got this massive debt. What am I going to do? And, you know, hello, fool in this money doesn't stay together very long, people. So, you know, it's like the, maybe the institutional investors, they've got computers that detect downward trends and they can buy shorts and they can buy volatility and that's how they work. But for, for mom and pop investor, no. <laughs> It's not part of their of their area, so yeah, we we saw crazy things, and it doesn't surprise me. I don't know what the real price is. I don't think anybody knows what the real price is. I'm surprised we're at eight thousand. I mean, I would have thought two thousand would have been incredible, but eight thousand is super incredible. So you know, count your blessings.
0: So Seth, I'm curious, how has this uh, rise and fall affected your micro mining uh, project?
2: Well, it's um. You know, it was doing really good there for whenever Bitcoin was shooting up, my miner was becoming super profitable. But whenever it crashed down, I saw my mining kind of go underwater. And so for that period of the run up, I was able to sell some kind of pretty close to the top. But, you know, for the part I didn't sell because, you know, I'm just going to wait and see what happens, I actually am for that one time period of, and what's this been two months, I'm, and you know, let's say for six weeks of that, I'm probably underwater. So there is a brief window of time where I lost money, but long-term, I think it's going to be a good thing because what happened was the the price was shooting up faster than the complexity. So people were bringing their older miners and turning them back on because they became profitable. And so with that additional horsepower on the network that shot the difficulty way up where then hopefully some of those other older miners will get turned off and the difficulty will drop a little bit. And then mine will be uh, back to um, you know, I'll be back to making a little bit. So, but you know, has the price has stabilized i've gone back to coming out ahead a little bit so so I'm curious, you know, uh,
0: some some of the rise and fall was on uh, major national uh, nations making decisions about it. You know, uh, the, the IRS changed their uh, taxes. They specifically wrote some some uh, Bitcoin. I don't even think they called it digital currency. I think they used the word Bitcoin into their tax code. But also China, you know, we talked about it before. They they had sort of a soft ban, um, and they turned that soft ban into a hard ban. There just will be no digital currencies until such time as China creates their own digital currency. And I wonder uh, about all those Chinese bit miners that are out there uh, running. Uh, Did they shut down? Or are they still out there plugging away at at Bitcoin that's now illegal in their own country?
1: I think they're still plugging away. I think that there's been a a big run on uh, some area. This This was very interesting. I noticed that the Chinese were looking at ways in which they could actually move their mining operations out of China because they were no no longer getting all this subsidized power that the local authorities were allowing them to have, and they wanted to find ways of, of operating with cheap power. So they were going into Iceland and buying up large areas to build data centers. And the interesting thing is uh, w- they're now going into Canada, uh, particularly areas like Quebec, because the... Um, the power company up there, Hydro Quebec, is offering incentives to large investors that want to come in and build data centers, and we could see Chinese bit mining, a bit, you know, uh, crypto mining, right on our on our uh, doorstep, or uh, because China doesn't want to subsidise their power anymore.
0: Of course, the the scammers had to get in on the rise of Bitcoin, and there were some. Uh, some quote unquote exchanges that fired up that weren't exchanges at all um and the mom and pop who didn't know anything had just heard their you know their their sons and grandsons talk about bitcoin kind of took a bath on some of these
1: yeah um the most notable one that happened i think was in december um <laughs> if you guys ever watch youtube and you ever do a search for like bitcoin or cryptocurrency there's no doubt you've probably come across so many people who used to have big uh, channels on youtube uh call, uh for a thing called bitconnect um bitconnect was this sort of a exchange slash investment thing And the idea was you could buy uh, shares in their token, which was a BitConnect token. Uh, You would use Bitcoin to buy it, I guess. And then uh, with that token, they apparently had some special magic source that uh, enabled them to reinvest it and give you some ridiculous returns on your investment. Uh, But you weren't allowed to pull your money out for a period of time. And this thing stank of a Ponzi scheme. I mean, really stank. And, uh yeah, in December, um, it, I think it was run out of England, but from what I understand, the founders were from Asia, uh, like India, Pakistan, somewhere around that region. And uh, what was happening was that they were creating this incentive program where people would go out there and promote uh, BitConnect. And the more people they got to join, the more commissions they were making, and they made an enormous amount of money, and there were these... Uh, Just average Joes who were getting into this whole BitConnect thing Uh, They started up BitConnect channels. They had thousands and thousands of subscribers and they would go out there and show How much money they were making and they would buy this sports car and somebody was gonna buy a house and you know It was ridiculous. They put like a thousand dollars into this thing and they've got three hundred thousand dollars worth of this fictitious income And so they're going off and they're spending it and they're showing their wealth and everything Um, well in December the state of Texas came down and said cease and desist, which it's kind of unusual because I mean this is a US state regional authority putting pressure on what is effectively a UK operation, and the UK operation said okay, we'll stop, and the second they did that, everybody lost all their money. I mean literally, it BitConnect token went to nothing. <laughs> I think it went for like three hundred dollars to eight. And it would happen like in 24 hours. And, and of course, you know, the, uh, I think that was followed up by a similar, uh, cease and desist from this, uh, North Carolina as well, which kind of doubled down on it. Anyway, BitConnect effectively shut down. They, I mean, there's still, I think they've still got a website, but. They're they pretty much out of business, and uh, then all these people on YouTube who've been out there talking about oh how great this you got to get into BitConnect and you know here use my use my link for referral bonus and whatever. Well, they they end up with a lot of egg on their face. Um, but it didn't it didn't end there because when people lose enormous amounts of money, what do they do? Call the attorneys and start a class action suit. So. You know, of course, a bunch of attorneys out of Florida got together and started a big class action suit against BitConnect. And, of course, BitConnect's a UK operation, so they probably can't do that much. But what they said was, well, we'll go after BitConnect, and if we can't get money there, we'll go after all these YouTube channel people. Yeah. So, so you know, average person in their bedroom with a YouTube channel who's been out there pushing BitConnect is now getting uh, they're being sued by some mega law firm out of florida in a class action lawsuit they can never defend themselves on I And mean, then they're they're gone that's the end of those guys yeah but
0: under under u.s law that they are culpable so yes that's, that's the thing if you if you participate in a ponzi scheme you're an idiot if you
1: promote a ponzi scheme you're a felon exactly exactly and uh, a, a lot you know you know, it's like, the, it's like the bottom of the YouTube channel comment section rose up and became the YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody who had been, you know, putting in their hatred and their, you know, vitriol against these people all got their chance to broadcast it to the world now. And, uh, yeah, it didn't end well for them. So that actually, I think, had some effect on the Bitcoin price. I think what that sent was a message to the institutional investors that there's no regulations here and there's scams going on everywhere and maybe this is not such a, a safe bet after all.
0: Yeah. And credit card companies, you know, hey, we are the electronic transaction people. You can't be the electronic transaction people. So uh, more and more uh, credit card uh, companies are, are making it um, – uh, fair Bolton, to uh, buy Bitcoin with a credit card, which I don't think is a bad thing, personally. Um, uh, maybe a debit card would be an okay thing, but if you're using credit to buy a speculative thing, probably not a good idea. You don't use your credit card to buy cash, right? So, I, uh, I, I've i read some articles about how this was, you know, anti-competitive, and, and they're arguing about it. I think it's
1: perfectly fine,
0: frankly, um, to not use a credit card to buy Bitcoin,
1: yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, you wouldn't use a credit card to buy stock options. Right. I mean, maybe you would if you were desperate. but Can't use a credit what? card
0: to buy a lottery ticket. And right now, a Bitcoin is worth about the same as a lottery ticket.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, if you don't have cash to lose, you can't buy Bitcoin, period. And that's, that's a hard message because, you know, we've been talking about Bitcoin for years. And... When we were originally playing with this whole Bitcoin mess, I mean even you guys remember when we were talking about Ethereum, it was like five bucks. <laughs> it was you know if it, if it, you could buy it for like five or ten bucks and and if it didn't go up one week, it was like, oh God, it didn't work, you know this is this is not going anywhere. And then today it's what nine hundred dollars or something. so i'm I'm sure that's that's great. but if you didn't get in at that low point, You've got this kind of, you know, little demon on your shoulder whispering in your ear going, you missed out. You missed out. You should have got in. You should have got in. But there might still be a chance. Maybe now. But you've got to be quick. And then you go, well, I haven't got any money. Well, go and get your credit card. Right. Okay. Off we go. You know, yeah. Okay. That never ends well. And emotional investing is stupid. The problem, Miles...
2: Yeah, go ahead. Is it does end well one time in a thousand.
0: That's right.
2: Because <laughs> oh, yeah. if it never <laughs> ended well, nobody would do it. If nobody ever broke the bank, quote unquote, at Vegas and came back with pocketfuls of money when they were down to their last quarter, Vegas would be, you know, a tiny trading post in the middle of a desert. But the problem is just enough people win big that everybody thinks they can win big. Just enough people got in on the up and some people sold it at the top and came out ahead with, you know, they sold it while it was still going up and they got back in and lost it, but they had an initial win. And so now they're hooked and they want more. And it's like, wow, I had 50 bucks, and I turned it into a 100. And I've got a $5,000 limit on my credit card, I'm going to retire. And then Oh, <laughs> crap, now I've got a $5,000 debt and $50 worth of Bitcoin. So you know, and so that's the problem. It's not that it never works. But it, it works just enough to fool people. And, well, and actually you know, in it,
0: the In the large uh, sectors, the big boys uh, doing serious investing, that's a common practice. It's called a leveraged investment. Leverage is just a fancy word for I, I gambled with money I don't have. And so you will leverage um, some asset, uh, mortgage a property. You know that's the the, the small person's thinking of you. Let mortgage your house, put that mortgage into an investment. If the mortgage pays, if the investment pays off, you pay off your mortgage. Everybody's happy. If not, you have to somehow um, uh, adjust for that uh, loss on your uh, credit and loss statement. And those are things that happen to the the big guys all the time. So the little guy thinks they can play like a big guy, and says, well, uh, you know, if Warren Buffett can, can uh, leverage for his investments. Why can't I? Because you're not Warren Buffett, dude. That's why. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's true. Well, you know, we have short memories. We, don't, we forget 2008 and the fact that people had mortgages that went underwater because they exactly did that. They had leveraged investments. They might have had 5% down on a mortgage, and that mortgage ended up going to half of its value, and guess what? They're bankrupt, and the house is foreclosed. It's, it, it happens, and we can't forget that. It happens. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't have a portion of, say, your investment portfolio in riskier assets. I mean, sure, but don't have it all. <laughs> and, and certainly don't have as much liability against what your asset holdings is. I mean, but I don't know. I'm not Dave Ramsey. I shouldn't be <laughs> trying to tell people how to do that anyway. We're not financial advisors, everybody. Do
0: not take our advice. Yeah. uh one thing that I think is perhaps the most interesting part of this whole thing is the uh um, the tax law changed so we we had talked again a year ago uh, about how um, currently there aren't really any rules about taxes but we were sort of treating it like a stock in that you know um, when you take money out you pay um taxes on that realized uh, profit. So if, you know, when I buy, say a Microsoft stock today at call it $10, it's way over that, but let's say it is, it goes up to $50. When I sell it, I pay taxes on the $40 realized investment. If I, as long as it stays in the stock, it's not taxable because it's not real income. It's just a thing hanging out there. Um, And so that's how a lot of tax professionals are treating it right now. Uh, And the government has has stepped in and said, well, we're really not going to make a ruling on that. But if you change one digital currency for another, then you have to pay for the gains on that. Not just if you change it from a digital currency to a fiat currency like the U S dollar, but if you change from one digital currency to another, any gain on that transaction has to be paid for, um, and taxed which is interesting considering that most of these are completely anonymous transactions how do they think they're going to have any teeth in that uh, and i think they have to be thinking they're going to the big guys like coinbase and saying we we will require you to monitor transactions on our behalf
1: yeah that that is an interesting dynamic um yeah this was rolled into the tax reform bill that, that uh was passed in december just before the uh, holidays i guess um and it was un-, un it was unexpected, and I didn't think it got a great deal of press until I saw some examples of it, and I felt like it might happen, and it did. So, if you buy one cryptocurrency and exchange it for another, that is a taxable event, in the same way that you know if you were to take a an, an appreciated asset and convert it to cash, that's a taxable event. Um, the other thing which uh, is often not mentioned is that um there are different if you've owned that currency for 12 months or more and again look talk to your cpa about this uh, i'm just giving you a you know thousand foot view and i'm and don't quote me and you guys validate it yourself but if you've owned that asset without changing it to anything for 12 months or more you can probably uh, only be subject to long-term capital gains tax which I believe is either a 15 or a 20 percent uh, penalty based on your income level but if you've done this before 12 months it just becomes taxable income so um, and what that would typically mean is that if you've got a, a job and let's say you make fifty thousand dollars a year and you bought some Bitcoin at I don't know 500 bucks and it went up to fifty thousand bucks and you, you know, it happened in that 12-month period, maybe you were trading it or something, um, that gain is taxable as additional income in that, it, you know, income that you've got for the year which might put you into a totally new tax bracket and now you're paying tax on, at that percentage on that new tax bracket. So it could become a 25% tax. I mean, it depends on your situation. Um, so you want to be careful. There's an, ins- there's an unwritten underlying uh statement here from the government influencing the behavior of bitcoin and that is keep it for 12 months don't trade it um i don't know if that was intended but that's and the nature of taxation in this form
0: it's exciting to me that they're at least taking it seriously you know admittedly this is a government money grab and i love the fact that you use the word penalty for a tax it's only a 15 percent penalty uh you know we're going to penalize you for for succeeding um (laughs) But uh, at least to me, it legitimizes the currency. I mean, it's a cash grab, right, but it also uh, puts some legs under it it, that the government is actually considering it a real thing.
1: Yeah. Well, you you said something really important, though, uh, in regards to Coinbase. You know, as as anybody who knows anything about digital currency— um, they know that if you've got digital currency and you're holding your private keys, you're probably the smartest person that's going to be holding it in their hand or you know, on like a little hardware wallet or, or something that you've got control over the keys um, <coughs> because these exchanges get hacked and so you don't want to leave it out there. Well, Coinbase has insurance and all that stuff, which is good, but still it's not the only game in town. There are many, many other exchanges that can hold your currency in this country, out of this country. And the fact that the Bitcoin keys could be anywhere means they're, they're very hard to track and very hard to trace. If the IRS are going to be benefiting in a significant fashion through the use of taxation on these gains... Then you know that they're going to be lobbying very hard, so that you have to register and make them aware of where your keys are. But they do that in other forms. If you've got offshore investments, you're expect you know of, of more than ten thousand, you're expected to file an F bar statement every year. And if you've got more than 50, uh, or I think it's 100,000 for a married couple of offshore, maybe it's a pension fund in another country or whatever, you're supposed to file a FATCA form. And there's all these forms. And if you don't file them, the penalties are ridiculous. Like they're $10,000 a year and there's no statute of limitations. And, you know, it's ridiculous. Well, it would not surprise me if the IRS applied the exact same Rulings of penalties on undisclosed crypto assets. It it would just follow suit that if the if the Department of the Treasury is expecting everybody with offshore assets to file FBAR statements, guarantee they're going to expect you to file statements on crypto. Huh. So get ready, it's form time. <laughs>
0: I was gonna wait for Seth to jump in there, and he didn't. So uh, I'll uh, I'll continue on. Uh, Aside from you know the scammers being scammers and the government being scammers, I mean being the government, um, there's also some been been some exciting technology changes since we last were with you. This is all from from just since December. When we last talked about Bitcoin, this is in, in you know three months' time, less than, um, uh, there have been some pretty significant changes. Uh, and the one that excites me the most is, is uh, Miles, you have it here, the Lightning Network. It's, it's not Bitcoin. It's sort of a Bitcoin add-on, but it fills the gap for Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin and all these other things uh, that is really the thing that we're all needing for this to be a real currency and not a speculation. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, Lightning Network is to Bitcoin what merchant processing is to banking. Um, we all quite happily walk into our local Starbucks with a credit card and buy a cup of coffee and we don't think about it. It's a, an instant transaction. You just hand the, co- the card, you stick it in the machine and you know two, three, four seconds later, blip approved and there's your coffee. And the vendor's happy with that, and you're happy with that, and everybody wins, basically. The problem is that th- there's a whole bunch of fundamental flaws to the way in which that works, but it means that the merchant is pre-authorized to, to trust you for that transaction. They're like pre-guaranteed payment and that you are uh, your balance on your credit or debit card that you're using through merchant processing is affected in real time at the time of your transaction, meaning you can't double spend. Uh, the problem with uh, the whole thing at the end of the day is that the merchant doesn't receive the money from that cup of coffee you bought until 72 hours later when eventually the bank remits the money From the merchant account into their bank account. So if you consider that that's the world that we've lived in for the last 20, 30 years, uh, probably longer, but that's, you know, typically as it's been popularized, um, it's something we've all accepted as being the norm. With Bitcoin, your transaction that is peer-to-peer is occurring between you, the holder of the Bitcoin, and the party that you want to transfer the value to, and we've gotten to a point where we've overburdened the, the highway. You know, we can't fit more transactions in the block. It's taking longer. It's costing more to get them through. And although we, we have faster side chains, or you can think of them as like faster freeway lanes um, in forms like Segwit and so on, few of the exchanges have been uh, willing to adopt it. Um, even though it's actually technically not that difficult for them to do it. Um, they've just not been, they've been somewhat opposed to it. And I think a lot of that was because they were making a lot of money on exchange fees and minor fees, and they didn't want to disrupt that. Well, it's kind of like me doing a wire transfer to, to you, Mark, for example. So if I want to transfer Bitcoin, that's the kind of level of effort to get it over to you. And although it's, you know, might happen in 20 minutes, which is, better than waiting three or four days for a wire to go over and it won't cost you know $75 well maybe it will but and it won't cost that level of money we've we've looked at bitcoin as being hey this is great this is better than banks well it's not great when you want to buy a cup of coffee you can't wait 20 minutes for the vendor to trust your transaction because your coffee is going to get cold
0: and also the current currently at the when especially when bitcoin was overhyped the the transaction fee was more than your cup of coffee cost.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It was ridiculous. I mean, I was I was sending like $150 to somebody and watching a $48.50 uh, exchange fee to do it. I was insane. Um if you're transferring $10,000, maybe that's acceptable, but not for smaller. And so what happens when it's not being used for smaller? It doesn't meet one of the, the critical um, properties it's supposed to have, and that is being a medium of exchange. It can't be a medium of exchange if it's too expensive. So what did people do? Well, you know, there was the big fury in the Bitcoin community about scaling, and then the whole Bitcoin cash thing went nuts, and, and, and if, so, well, the, the Bcash people were saying, oh, you know, don't use Bitcoin, use us. We're better, we're the real Bitcoin, you know. no. You're just a bigger freeway with an extra lane and you're going to get, you know, filled up and we'll be in back in the same boat a year from now. That's not going to work. Um, anyway, a mob of people in the, in the background over the last couple of years have been developing this thing called the Lightning Network. And the idea is, I don't want to get too technical because it's complicated, but you pre-authorize a transaction between you and and the trading partner that you're working with. You effectively prepay in Bitcoin ahead of time. Both parties do. And it's kept kind of in escrow. And then when you want to get that cup of coffee, a little bit of it transfers. And you'd think, well, that's, that's okay, but now I've got to have this, I've got to put my money in this thing and have it already allocated for the vendors. Well, I want to do business with 100 vendors. How's that going to work? Well, here's the cool thing they took the, the knowledge of the concept of swarming, which is something that we kind of look at with BitTorrent, where, you know, if one person's downloading something, they may as well be uploading at the same time, that kind of metaphor. And they basically said, well, if somebody's already got a trusted transaction with that vendor and they've got money out there kind of, you know, put aside, maybe you can leverage off that. And then all you need is all the vendors to have at least somebody doing some trade with them. And then you can leverage off that trade and, and add into the funds later. And then at some point, the, the parties in the transaction can elect to cash out. And that's the effect of remittance. The cash out costs the Bitcoin uh, exchange fee at the point where it pops into your account. But they use SegWit. SegWit is significantly cheaper to do that exchange massively cheaper and therefore you can cash out for a, fr- a fraction of the cost and you can get paid you know probably faster than the 72 hours you're used to getting paid for the credit card. This all sounds technical and it's com- <laughs> it's complicated and it's not something I want my grandmother to work out because she won't but if this can be made as simple as an app on a phone like an NFC thing like Apple Pay or Android Pay or whatever, and you just go in there and you go, blip, done, and we're out of here, guess what? We've just completely destroyed merchant processing, and all of a sudden, Bitcoin is a thing again.
0: The thing to keep in mind is this is very early days, right? The yeah. credit card system that we have today went through 40 years of evolution. I mean, I'm old enough to remember uh, running the, the card thing across a, a, a carbon paper to get the imprint of the number, and and the merchant knew that it was going to be days before they got their money, and they just expected this. this illusion, and it is an illusion, of instant transactions is relatively recent in history. So, you know, Bitcoin is going, if it survives, not just, I'm saying Bitcoin, but I mean digital currency, if mm-hmm. it continues to subscribe, uh, survive, it's going to have to go through that same sort of... Thing. There will be the growing pains, but it's exciting to me that there are enough people interested in it, and that there's enough upside to it um, that people are doing it. Because you know, it, it will happen if there's money to be made on it. And right now, it, it seems like there is.
1: Yeah, and, and the the ob, the other obstacle which would that is interrelated with this is another one of the properties of Bitcoin, and that is its its store of value. You know, it was originally touted that well, if you couldn't do the the use it as a currency, as a trading currency, it's always good because you know it's a store of value. You put money in, then look, it goes up ten times. Well, that doesn't always happen, as we've realised in the last couple of months. It it doesn't always happen. And as a store of value, a vendor who wants to use Bitcoin as their base level currency is going to be very uncomfortable doing that if when they eventually get their money from their cups of coffee sale, the Bitcoin's worth half of what it was. Right. As
0: I've always said, it can either be a currency or an investment. It can't be both.
1: Well, the only here's the one thing that I've kind of got as a variable in my mind, and I'm not sure I have an opinion or a position on this, if Lightning takes off to the point where hundreds of thousands of vendors start accepting it at the retail front, I'm wondering whether that level of volume will stabilize the currency. I don't know. It'll anyway, go a long.
2: Sorry, yeah, ahead, it'll man. go a long way to stabilize the currency because I mean, even though Bitcoin is getting a lot of press these days, it's still a very few people. Compared to the number of people that use that, you know, slap down the plastic or the chip or whatever for a credit card, the number of people doing stuff with Bitcoin is fractional. And the problem is, All of the fraud and abuse in Bitcoin gets press because the money behind the entrenched organizations are afraid of what Bitcoin will do to them. But the unwritten rule is thou shalt not discuss the fraud and abuse in the financial system. You know, there's there's billions of dollars of fraud happening yearly and yearly it's probably trillions of dollars that the those companies cover because if it got out to the mainstream the holes in the security and how transfers between banks where all this stuff settles out are routinely you know and at least yearly hacked for seven figures or more you know if if that kind of stuff got out then people would flock to bitcoin and the other alternatives would exist. So the, you know, the problem is all this negative press, it's not, you know, you know, the bad thing is um, my Bitcoin is an FDIC insured. And so if, you know, if I have a wallet or whatever and I lose the key, hey, it's gone forever, you um, but if I, you know, whereas if I lose, you know, if, if the bank gets robbed, I still got my money there because the government insures it up to a certain level. And then, too, we just don't talk about how, you know, and you hear some old oh, card skimmers and all of that. But fraud, you know, they've limit they've done a good job with their lawyers, have limited their liabilities. And, you know, they have insurance and all of that. And because Bitcoin is open source, it doesn't. So people out there just need to take a long view. You know, if, if I had a stock named Bitcoin that went from 1,000 to 20,000, people would be calling me a lucky SOB. But because this is, it's a cryptocurrency, you know, ooh, that's risky. You shouldn't get into it. Well, you know, I've, I've got more ownership in Bitcoin than I do with any stock I've ever owned in a company. So, you know, people just fear change and i know because i fear change as well unless it's good for me and i want it so anyway i just hadn't talked to a while and i wanted to say something well you know i was just going to say that
0: that last week miles said almost nothing and this week seth has said almost nothing um so it's it's a good balance me i blabber all the time anyway but seth since you have the mic why don't you tell us what happened this week in history
2: All right, Mark, I wanted to let the world, I wanted to remind the world that in February 10th, 2009, satellites collide. And so the communication satellites Iridium-33 and Cosmos-2251 collide in orbit, destroying both. Now, the thing about this, this is the first major collision of satellites in orbit. Earth's orbit. This accidental collision was the first time and what's called hypervelocity between two artificial satellites. You know, they had happened in the past in the past, but a satellite hit debris or whatever. But these were two complete satellites that hit each other going roughly over 26,000 miles an hour at an altitude of just under 800 miles. And so this week in history in 2009 is the first time two satellites collided in orbit and you think with all the satellites you know it's a you know if those go down communication goes down and the internet slows down and you know we can't watch cat videos from uzbekistan as well so this week in history mark satellites collided and now back to you
0: well, one quick correction. It's roughly 800 kilometers or about 500 miles. And the reason right. that matters is, is a geosynchronous orbit is pretty a pretty narrow band. The speed you have to be to always be at the same uh, distance, uh, the same location on the Earth, the speed and the distance is pretty narrow, which is why satellites can collide. Yeah, space is big. Why don't you just space them out more? Well, the geosynchronous band isn't all that big. And people want to have satellites always in the southern sky uh, at the same time, right? You You have to it gets a little crowded up there um so yeah it's exciting uh that it hasn't happened more often frankly um but there's there's a whole lot of satellites up there with with gps satellites and communication satellites it's a big thing
2: yeah and then it, a lot of times going,
1: or go ahead answer. miles i was right, gonna go say if it keeps going the way it's going we're gonna have teslas up there having traffic jams awesome <laughs>
2: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times these satellites might only last a few years before they fail or the protocols they support become obsolete. So there's tons of literally tons of satellites up there that no longer transmit. But, you know, if they're dead, we can't command them to burn up in the atmosphere. So it's really this might be a good show topic is how fragile our robust modern communication really is. You know, um just something to think about and remind you of that we got it pretty easy these days.
0: Well, while we're on the subject of calamities that people could worry about, what is your uh, show closing spectacular? What have you got this week to lower my productivity that's making you look like a better hiring option?
2: Well, this one has legs. This could really do that. If you go to backgroundchecks.org slash justdeleteme, this is a list of tons of different websites um, that you can go here and find out the removal instructions to remove yourself off of their database, you know, not just I'm closing my account, but it's like I want to be gone. And so you can go on here and for Blue a- Blue Apron, they say it's easy. From other things like Blogger, it becomes impossible. And so anyway, you just, if there's some website that you joined once 10, 15 years ago and you forgot about, you know, that information is still out there. And, uh, you know, if you want a tinfoil hat, You're going to have to go close some of those old accounts, and this is a great website that will give you steps on how to do it. Anyway.
0: Flipboard. I think I have a Flipboard account at some point, somewhere down the line. Um, Yeah, I should probably want to delete delete that because I don't even remember what that is. It was an iPad app, I think. Yeah, so it's a good idea to do that once in a while, a security checkup, they say. Definitely. All right, and this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. Go to elementopi.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, fill out the the form there, answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA, fill out the form, and tell us what you think. You could also dial 559 Opie. Leave us a voicemail message on our Google Voice line, and we'll probably play it on the show. Uh, but we love hearing what you have to say from us, uh, to us. Uh, we love your feedback. I have been collecting those things, and we will be doing those uh, um, events in the, in the near future. Um, Maybe I'm not even sure, but <laughs> you're. Yeah, I'm just going to go with that. Uh, so uh, I, I enjoyed this uh, sort of dive into the uh, the the realm of Bitcoin once again. I had did get some feedback, and I feel your pain when you were saying "shut up about Bitcoin already." I'm tired of the Bitcoin. I was there with you, to be honest with you. But we we took a few months off, and now we're back. And so I feel that uh, that this was a reasonable dive into that realm again. I hope you agree. Let us know what you think over at Element OP. Dot com. Uh, you could try to tweet us at, at elementopi or you could use the Facebook page. Honestly, I'll probably never see that. I keep getting these emails from Twitters, Twitter that says, hey, uh, go check out your one notification. And I think, well, Twitter, just show me my notification. If you could spend all that effort to send me the email encouraging me to go log in and check out the notification, why don't you just send me the notification? But then there's that whole logging in thing. That's really what they're all about. Um, I totally stink at social media. Um, we're out there, but there could be whole conversations going on that I don't know anything about. So email, that's the way to do it. Or the the webpage is the best way to do it. So there gentlemen, any final words of wisdom before we say goodnight?
1: Don't spend money you haven't got.
0: Amen. Ditto. All right. And uh, be safe out there. Get the flu shot. It's not too late. Ordinarily, people don't get the flu shot as late as February, but this is, this is looking to be an extended flu season. Uh, I will tell you, my wife has the flu. Um, she was the only one in the family that didn't get the shot. The rest of us are fine. Do that as uh, you know, do with that as you may. Um, I'm pretty sure I don't have autism, and I've been injected with all sorts of chemicals my whole life. So uh, go and do that thing. That's my public service announcement. And uh, for that, I say again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. That's it for this episode of Everyday Linux. Uh, No, Everyday Linux. Yeah, that's what we used to be, (laughs) of the Geek Grant. And remember, pay for what you like.